Let's take our Bibles tonight. Please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I hope you received a lesson for tonight. We are going to start a series called Continue. Just about uh, kind of refreshing some things in our mind, doctrinally speaking, that will help us uh, both to grow and to stay on track. You say, well, I already know this stuff. Well, that's good. It's good to be reminded and to learn and continue as the lesson study uh, is called. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's have a look there tonight. And there was another special I wanted to hear, but uh, we're, we're running pretty late tonight, so I, I'm going to hear it again. That song this morning really moved my heart, the quartet sang, and so what God has done and what he's done, and so we'll have them sing that again. Uh, what a blessing that was to me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and tonight our lesson is just simply about the Word of God, and so... I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to fast track through these lessons quite a bit, and that's why you have the notes. We will not be turning to every scripture that you see, but I would encourage you to go home and make this a diligent study of God's word, all right? And so when you get home, sometime this week, go over those notes and look up those scriptures and just reinforce those things in your faith. You're going to, you're going to have people undoubtedly, listen, uh, the Bible says evil men shall wax worse and worse, right? And the days are getting more and more evil as we go. And there's going to be more and more questions towards us. So why, why do you believe that old book? Why do you believe the Bible? And, and so it's good to know these verses and memorize these verses that you can give an answer when you're asked about your faith. And so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 tonight. Let me give you some trivia first, all right? If you found your place, you can look up here. And let me give you some trivia and you can just yell out the answers, okay? How many books are in the Bible? 66, good. How many are in the Old Testament? 39, the new? 27, good. How many testaments are there? Two, good, all right. So we're doing pretty good. Can we recite the books of the Bible? Who can do that? Raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you, just so some of you are afraid to put your hand up. Let's do it together. Let's do that. Ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Ready? New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. Very good. Several of you know those, and that's good to learn. My very first day of Bible college, our, our Bible uh, history class, they said, tomorrow, you better know the books of the Bible, there will be a quiz. And we had to memorize all 66. And fortunately, we've been taught that as children growing up at Bethel. It's important to know where to turn in the Bible. It's good. You hear those pages ruffling, and sometimes you, you feel kind of funny because you're still looking for Joel or something in the Old Testament while the preaching's going on. So learn the books of the Bible. They're right there in the front of your Bible. The index is there, and it's good for you to learn those. All right, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 tonight. <clears throat> All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished 
unto all good works. Heavenly Father, help us with our study tonight. Lord, help us to be efficient, but also to glean the information that we need to understand why we hold to a perfect, inerrant word of God. Lord, I pray that you allow the Spirit of God to teach us. And, and maybe there's somebody here tonight that's just wondering why do they hold that Bible in such high regard. I pray that they might learn tonight about the revelation of God and the inspiration and the preservation and some of these just basic Bible words that will help us understand why we believe the Bible to be the very word of a holy God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, have a look in your notes tonight. We're going to start with this verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right? And that's there's one of those Bible words we're going to look at tonight is the word inspiration. But number one in your notes tonight, God wrote the Bible. This is God's word. A lot of times we will look at a passage of scripture and we'll say, well, this was penned by the Apostle Paul. And I prefer to use the word penned. It was penned by him. He's the one that took the ink and put it on the paper, but it was inspired by God. God wrote it. It is the mind of God given to the heart of man and transferred to paper or scroll or what have you and passed down through the centuries. So God wrote the Bible. He is the sole author of the Bible. If we are talking about human authors, there are over 40 different authors that helped that through the process of inspiration, which we'll talk about in a moment, that, that put God's word into our hands. But God is the author. And, and so let's look tonight at a couple important words. Letter A revelation. What is revelation? We have a book in the Bible called Revelation. And revelation, the definition of the word is, is encapsulated right in the word to reveal. God has given us revelation. He has revealed unto man all that he wants us to know. Now make sure we understand that. God has not revealed unto us everything there is to know. He's only revealed to us what he wants us to know. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, as John the Revelator was writing, God said to him in one portion of Scripture, you'll remember this, to shut up the words of the book, that they were to remain a mystery until the end of the ages. And so God has not given us everything there is to know, but he has certainly given us everything he wants us to know. And that's what Revelation is, God communicating previously unknown truth all right some of you know somebody who is a gossip and they love to be the one to give you revelation they want to be the first to tell you isn't that important in the media if somebody wants to give the news they they always credit I don't know if you notice that they will credit that this was first reported by a reporter another news outlet what have you that's because they want to give you that revelation but revelation from God is priceless. And so he inspired it in the heart of man and he gave it to us. So letter A, revelation. Letter B, inspiration. And that's the word we find in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given. You say, what is the scripture for revelation? It is simply that phrase, is given. God giving us his word. There's a lot of other scriptures we'll look at tonight that will help us undergird that thought of revelation and inspiration. But as we just look at this first one verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, we look at the phrase, is given, but how? By inspiration. Now, inspiration is God having his truth recorded. 
It literally means, the word inspiration literally means that God breathed out. All right? Inspiration, we, we think of today about being inspired. That somebody is my inspiration. An artist may have an inspiration to, to paint something. They may see a sunset and they're inspired to paint that sunset. That is not what this word inspiration means. The word inspiration literally means that God breathed out. He breathed it into the hearts and the minds of human authors. And so let's look at that. Second Peter, if you will, turn there. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Now we just said all the books of the Bible, so you should be able to find that real, real quick. How many of you are running through them in your head real quick trying to find where that is? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Look there. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Circle number 19 in your Bibles or underline that, that uh, passage of scripture. We have a more sure word of prophecy and he says you do well if you take heed. Now, is he talking about the word of God? Yes. Look what he says in verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy, no prophecy. Prophecy is another word for revelation from the heart of God to the mind of man. And we talk about prophecy in the Old Testament. What did the Old Testament prophet do? He received from God by revelation and he preached it out. He told it to others. And so that is the gift of prophecy. We do the same today. We receive from God and we give it out. That's the spiritual gift of prophecy that we see in 1 Corinthians. And so look what he says in verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. That's a good verse to throw around in a Bible study, and here's why. I remember years ago doing a Wednesday night Bible study, much like we do here, going through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, line upon line, and somebody said to me after, well, that's not really a Bible study. And I said, well, what is a Bible study? He said, well, you sit around a table, and, and you read a, a verse of Scripture, and you say, well, now, what does that mean to you, and what does that mean? And you go around, and you ask, no, no, the Bible says the Scriptures of no private interpretation, I've heard so many times today, and here's where uh, liberal people or unsaved people get off track. Well, that's what the Bible means to you. No, no, I don't have a private interpretation of the Bible. Scripture compares with Scripture, and God defines it, and he uses his Holy Spirit to help us understand exactly the mind of God. Listen, God did not reveal his word to us to confuse us. He gave us his word to guide us, to be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. It is a guidebook that helps us understand how we are to live our lives. Verse 21, for the prophecy, the word of God, came not in old time by the will of man. You'll remember I said earlier that there was 40 human penmen that put pen to paper or pen to scroll and they wrote out the mind of God as he inspired them with his Holy Spirit. And the Bible confirms that right here. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but listen, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That is the process of inspiration. 
God's spirit blows upon a man as he breathes out his word and his will, and man records it. So look at those phrases tonight. And I think I put these right in your notes. The Bible did not originate with humans. The Bible says he came not in old time by the will of man. Men of God recorded the words of the Bible. Holy men of God spake. God is the author of the Bible as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so this Bible word that we're looking at is inspiration. Jesus himself, listen, specifically stated that God's word was divinely inspired by God. Listen, Matthew 4, 4, it is written. It is written. Jesus quoting the scriptures. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I'm so thankful today that God wrote it down. That he gave us a book that we can know the heart and the mind and the words of God God's holy word. So God has given us his Bible. He has written the Bible through the process of revelation and inspiration. Look at number two now. Roman numeral two. God has preserved the Bible. Now here's here's something or some food for thought. When I say God wrote the Bible, pretty much every person in the world that calls themselves a Christian, whether they are or not, believes that God gave us the Bible. They believe that. They believe that God, there's, there's a few out there, I'll admit, there's a few out there that do not believe that it is all God's word from cover to cover. They look at the words of Christ and say, well, Christ didn't say that. Christ couldn't have said that. And they look at some of the miracles of the Bible and they don't believe those. But they, they believe that God gave us the concept of the Bible, that it is a good book and it, it is allegorical and, and all those things, stories that we can apply and live by and that Jesus was a good man. And so they may not believe the, the content of the Bible, but they believe the Bible came from God. But number two we're going to talk about tonight is the doctrine of preservation. And here's the problem. Most believers believe that God gave us the Bible, but many, 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 many do not believe that God preserved his word. That we can only have the Bible in the original languages. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How many of you here tonight speak Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic? And so we don't have those ancient languages. We don't understand them. And, and it doesn't make sense for God. If I were to write a, a letter tonight to Brother Ronson, Brother Ronson, I'm not going to, well, I'm not going to write it in French. Would you understand if I wrote you a letter in French? No. And you're not going to write me one in, in German. I, I wouldn't understand it. We're not going to, we're not going to, not that I could write it in French or he could write it in German. I don't know, but, uh, but you're going to write it in a language that communicates so that we have understanding. So God has given us his word, but I believe not only has he revealed it and inspired it, I believe with all my heart he's preserved it. Here's what we need to understand. For every verse in the Bible that talks about God giving us his word and inspiring his word, there's at least 12 that say God has kept his word or preserved his word. So let's look at a little bit of that tonight. Roman numeral two, God has preserved the Bible. Letter A, God promised to preserve his word. Turn to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. 
That's why we went through the books of the Bible at the beginning. There's a lot of verses, and I knew you could memorize it just that quick. Psalm chapter 12. I got I to say, I was impressed at all the voices that, that knew all the books of the Bible. Good for you. Psalm chapter 12, look at verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Look what he says now. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, if I, I, I can't go back in time and I cannot understand necessarily the exact date, but I can say this. About 1,900 years ago, the Word of God was complete. The book of Revelation was completed probably about 1,930 years ago, about 90 A.D. We know that the Old Testament was completed uh, some, some 400 years before the New Testament began, so about 2,400 years ago. We know that the Word of God began to be penned down with the words of Moses about 3,500 years ago. And so we have a, a wide range from about 3,500 years ago to about 1,930 years ago, give or take a few years, that the Word of God was written over that period. Not one of us, as we just confessed, understand a language from 1,930 years ago. There are still those today that would speak Greek. There are those that would speak Aramaic and those that would understand Hebrew. But notice what it says in verse 7, thou shalt keep them, talking about the words of the Lord in verse 6, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation for how long? Forever. He didn't say, I will preserve my words till 90 AD. But we have the very promise of God that his word would continue that God would get it to all the world. And we are to preach the gospel. Listen, we are to preach the gospel to every creature in Mark 16, 15. We cannot do that if we don't have a Bible in our hand. I can't take a, a Bible from another language and, and preach it to you tonight. I wouldn't understand it. I'd be lost. And so God has given us a, a Bible in what translator called our heart Language. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 119. Just forward a few pages, Psalm 119. And look with me, if you will, at a couple verses there. Verse 89. Psalm 118, 19, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is settled where? In heaven. Here's, here's an interesting thing about preservation. A lot of people will say, well, you know, we don't have the word of God on earth because God took it to heaven at some point based on that verse. I, I want you to know that that's not what that scripture means. The scripture means that the superintendent of the word of God resides in heaven and he's ever keeping watch and care over it. Now think about this. How many of you remember Exodus chapter 20? What happened there? God gave us what we call the Ten Commandments. All right, I believe there was hundreds of commandments on those tablets. We only read the first 10 because we can't keep them anyway, so why bother keep reading? What happened when Moses came off the mountain? Do you remember? There, there was reveling in the camp, wasn't there? They made an altar unto Baal. They had made this golden calf, and, and they were worshiping that thing, and Moses got angry, and what did he take with the word of God? What did he do? 
He smashed those tablets. Do you know what happened just a few chapters later? God said to Moses, hew out two more stones. But what he did not say to Moses is, Moses, it's your job to keep my word, so write down everything I gave you up on the mountain. That's not what happened. The God who lives in heaven said, my word is settled right here. And he wrote the words down again. God said, it's my job to keep my word. And so he preserved it that day, and I believe that he's preserved it ever since. And we can look at it several other verses. We won't take the time. But look at, since you're in Psalm 119, look at a couple more there. Verse 152. Verse 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Verse 160, just down a couple. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Listen, here's the thing. God is the only one who truly knows what forever is. Isn't isn't that right? I I remember uh, last year we were teasing Calvin and uh, he, was, he did a devotion. You might have seen the devotion. And uh, on the video that we were putting out every morning, he did one of the devotions. And uh, he said, he was mocking t- one of his kids. I won't say their name in case they're in here and they get all embarrassed. But he was saying that, that perspective in time, and he was talking about, uh, he, he gave one of his kids a timeout for five minutes or something. And they just went, that is forever. Well, in our perspective... When you're, when you're just three or four years old, five minutes is a long time to hold somebody's attention. As we get older, that, that perspective changes, but we still have no concept of forever. We have no concept. I, I, rem, I go to, went to a restaurant with, uh, with one of my family members. I, it was my wife, I'll just tell you. And she says, we haven't been here in forever. And I says, does that mean we've never been here then? Because forever is forever. He says, you know what I mean. And I get in trouble like that all the time. But our perspective changes. But for God, he's the only one that really knows what forever is. And he has said this about his word. I will keep it forever. I'll preserve it forever. We can always be assured that God will keep his word. So God promised to preserve his word. Letter B. God tells us the process. God tells us the process by which he has preserved his word. Number one. God specifically told his people to write his word. God specifically told his people to write his word. Look at Isaiah chapter 8. I'm going to turn to that one because I, I, this one's an excellent, excellent reference. Isaiah chapter 8. Is that in the Old Testament or the New? Good. I'm just trying to keep you awake because I know that I, I would much rather preach than teach any day of the week. I guarantee you that. And so I'm going to have to keep you awake a little bit. Isaiah chapter 8, look at verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write it with a man's pen concerning, and I'm going to let you figure out that name. Does everybody turn there? Can you read that name? Meher Shalah Hashbaz. It's not in the top, top 10 names in the baby book, that's for sure. But look what he says here. Look at the content of this verse. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Isaiah, take thee a great roll or a scroll and write in it with a man's 
pen. I want you to write down what I have to say. God has given us his word and he has told us the process by which he would do that. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2, he told the prophet Habakkuk not just to hear his words, but to write them down. And, and so over and over again, we see that God commands when he wants specific things written down. I, I encourage you to check those scriptures later. Number two, God specifically told people to copy his word. Not just to write it, but to copy in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7 through 9, we see how God tells fathers to write the words of God down and to put them on the phylacteries and put them upon their head and upon their heart. And God was to tell parents, train your children in the word of God, but they were to take the word of God and write it out and copy it for children. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, he says the same thing to priests and kings. So in the Old Testament... God chose to use fathers, priests, and kings to pass on his word. And let me say this, the Jewish people were incredibly diligent about it. They very carefully recorded God's word. They recorded the, the genealogies, everything. Just a, about two weeks ago, I guess, I, I, my wife and I stopped at the superstore and I ran in to get something and, and I ran into... A Jewish man that, that I knew, and he lived, he's a neighbor with the Strides. He lives next to the Strides, and uh, he used to work in the post office, and so we'd be down getting mail and talk to him once in a while. And he even, he even asked one time, he says, could I, you got anything going on at the church? And I said, well, we had our chicken on the ground so next week. He says, could I come? He says, we just moved here not long ago, and we, we just want to make some friends. And, and so he's always very friendly, and I, I got to talk to him a little bit. And uh, I asked him, I said, listen, I said, uh, I, I, I've been to Israel, and I said a lot of interesting things I learned there and stuff. And I said, let me ask you. I said, he began to tell me about his family history. And I said, but it's interesting how the Jewish people keep such clear genealogies. Let me ask you this. Do you know what tribe you're from? Think about this. 3,500 years of history. He said, yes, I'm from the tribe of Levi. And I said, oh, you're from the, the priestly tribe then. He says, well, he says, not so much anymore. He says, I am of the priestly tribe, the tribe of Levi. But he says, um, and he, he said it kind of in a Yiddish way, but he was talking about Kohath. How many of you remember Kohath in the Bible? He says, the family of Kohath eventually grew so big that they took on most of the priestly activities in the other parts of the tribe of Levi. He says, it would be an honor for, for them to serve once in a while. But he says, the tribe of Kohath, the tribe of Kohath in the book of Exodus was the tribe, uh, was the family in particular of the tribe of Levi that would carry the ark. And they would carry the table of showbread and they would carry all the things precious in the tabernacle. He says, I'm of the tribe of Levi, but he says, I am not a Kohathite. I thought, isn't that interesting? These people have passed down the, the words of most holy God from generation to generation, even the genealogies. They've recorded meticulously. And that's how God chose for his word to be passed on. But look at the process we use today, number three. Consider the process God uses today. Number one, letter A, God's word is truth. John chapter 17, verse 17, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying what has become known as the high priestly prayer of Christ. And he says, sanctify them with thy truth, thy word. The word of God is truth. I don't know if there's any more simple or definitive statement in the Bible 
we, we talk about moral relativism today, and we talk about uh, all truth is relative. Let me tell you this, God's word is truth. That is an absolute. That is something concrete that we can stand upon. And so we believe tonight, or I believe, I hope you do, that God's word has been re- revealed to us by God. It has been inspired by God in the heart of men to put down on paper, and God himself has preserved it through men. So we see, first of all, God's word is truth, letter B, the church, 1 Timothy 3.15, is the pillar and ground of truth. It is the church's job to preserve his word. That's who God has given this responsibility to. We are the pillar and the ground of the church. Now, listen. I don't know that any one local congregation is going to stand up and say, well, we believe that God has called us to be the sole keepers of the word of God. I believe it just happens organically. I believe that God, when he goes, uh, when God's spirit is in a Bible local church, understand not everything that calls themselves church is really a Bible church. A a church, let me just, let me say, we'll look at this in a couple weeks, but a church is an assembly of saved, baptized believers. That's what a church is. Assembled together for a a purpose. A church is the, the Greek word ekklesia, meaning assembly. We have been brought together with a common goal, a common purpose, because we have a common Savior. And so that's what a church is. And organically speaking, when a church is right with God and God's Spirit is dwelling in that church, that church will carefully guard God's Word. We believe it. We hold to it. I have to be honest. We cannot open the Word of God and say there's even one word we can throw out. Not one. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Jesus Christ said that all would be fulfilled, that right down to the very jot and the very tittle, and those are just even the little punctuation marks that we see in the Bible, the inflections that that put accents on certain parts of words. God says it's all important and it's all inspired. So the church is the pillar and the ground of truth, and those who are saved are instructed to teach what has been preserved to others. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. God wants his word spread. Letter C. <clears throat> this helps support the doctrine of preservation. Historically, there is evidence that God has preserved his word. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If I were to hold up a book tonight, Robinson Crusoe. And I said, on page three of Robinson Crusoe, it claims that it is the very words of God, that God dictated this story to, uh, to the author, that, that he put it pen to paper. And he said, well, that's a kind of a, an outrageous claim. It's found right in its own pages. Well, the Bible claims to be inspired. So we need something Besides that, now listen, as Bible believers tonight, we can read that and say, well, we believe that because God said it. Amen? And the Holy Spirit convinces my heart and he bears witness with me that this is the word of God. And not only that, I I, I don't just believe this is the word of God. I believe the God of the word. 
I know him personally, and I, I have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, so it's no problem for me whatsoever to believe what God said in these pages. I've seen miracle after miracle come true, and the things that God said would happen in prophecy have come to pass, and so I believe the word of God is reliable. When it says God will keep it, I believe it. But the world looks at us and says, well, I, I don't know all those things. And the Bible is actually testifying of itself. And so how do we convince them? Well, one of the ways is we can say, well, let me show you some prophecy that's come to pass. Every word in this book is true, and everything that the God has said would happen has, has actually already happened, and we already know that we're, we're sitting front row on the world stage right now waiting for more to be fulfilled. And we can show them fulfilled prophecy. But there's evidence that God has preserved his word. Number one, there are over 5,000 preserved manuscripts of the New Testament alone. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into this tonight because we just don't have the time. There are two main lines of, of manuscript evidence. Number one is what we call the received text or the textus receptus. That's what we get our King James Bible from. The Texas Receptus has over 5,000 pieces of evidence that have been found over the years that agree with one another, that support one another, that help us uh, put a manuscript together that, that allows us to translate literally the Word of God. There's another line called the West God and Horde that was compiled from just two. One was a copy of the Bible that was found in the garbage can at the Vatican. Codex Venicanus, it was called. The other was found in a monastery on Mount Sinai, only two. And with, they disagreed with one another in over 3,000 places. And so a lot of strange Bible versions, modern Bible versions, will come from the Westcott and Horde. And so we have to be very careful where we take our Bible from. And so there's a historical proof or evidence that God has preserved his word. Historically, not only that, throughout the years, remember, who's the pillar and ground of truth again? Come on, somebody help me here. You've been listening. I knew you were dozing off. I could tell. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. And for 2,000 years, God's churches have authenticated and used the word of God. They've held it up as the truth. That is what preservation is, that God would keep his word that we might have it today. Roman numeral three, we'll move very quickly. We may not even, we'll finish it. Here we go. God uses the Bible today. God uses the Bible today. Here's, here's the third thing, and these all go hand in hand, right? God revealed to his prophets the very words that he wanted penned on paper through the process of inspiration. Then God said, I will keep my word forever. I will preserve it unto every generation. And so we have the promise of God that his word would persevere, that he was going to take care of that, and he would use his churches to make sure it remained that way. But here's the thing. If that's true, if all of that is true, it must have some benefit today. If God's word is not changing lives and it's just a book sitting on your shelf and it's, it's not seeing people saved and, and the Holy Spirit of God is not using it, 
then perhaps it's not the word of God at all. But we know for a fact that God uses his word today. So let's look at those very quickly. Letter A, the Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit guides us. I'm going to give you John 16, 13 on that one. You can also look up 1 Corinthians 2 when you get home. John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He will teach us. He will test, John 15, 26, I believe it is, says, he will testify. He will testify. God promised that he would not leave us comfortless, but the comforter would come. And when he has come, he will guide us into all truth. He will teach us. Uh, we, we call that the doctrine of illumination. He helps us to understand the very words of God. So the Holy Spirit guides us. How many times have you been in church and somebody opens up the word of God and they begin to preach and God begins to move in your heart and stir your heart? Listen, if, if it is a true moving of God, that is not some slick preacher. That is not a manipulation tactic. That is the very Holy Spirit of God using his word to prick your heart. That's what he's doing. And so we, we need to respond to that. The problem is, is it happens a lot and we just don't listen. We don't listen like we ought to. We don't respond to God's pleadings in our life like we should. And by the way, when you do, you end up with a seared conscience. And we grieve and vex the Spirit of God working in our life. God says, I work through my word. Look at another thing tonight, letter B. The Bible tells us what is truth. The Bible tells us what is truth. He said, well, I'm really struggling in this postmodern era. I'm struggling with the cultural wars all around us. And I, I'm, I'm getting honest, I'm getting tired of all, all the things that are going on in our society today with, with pride and abortion and all those things. And they said, well, you know, it, it, this, this is just, you have your truth. Wait, what? Let me tell you my truth. Be prepared for a bunch of baloney coming next. I understand that if we were to go down to the intersection of Highway 3 and 24 and each of us stood on a different corner and a car accident took place, all four of us on each corner would have a different perspective, but the fact remains the same. Two cars hit one another. It might look different from your angle or from your perspective, but there's no such thing as my truth or your truth. That's relativism. There is absolute truth. And Jesus himself reminds us, thy word is truth. The Bible tells us that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and knows our thoughts. That's the power of God's word. But the word of God teaches us truth. Number C, letter C. The Bible tells how the church should operate. You remember the verse we started with, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, listen, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There's so many today that just say, well, you know, I just believe that, that, that God loves everybody. He sure does. But that's why he sent his son to die on a cross, to shed his blood for your sins, because what they mean is God just loves everybody and everybody's going to heaven, Charles Manson and all the murderers and all the rapists and all the rest without ever having repented of their sins or trusting. That, that's not a doctrine you'll find in the Bible. The word of God is profitable for doctrine. 
And so we might, since, since we believe it's revealed of God, it's inspired by God, it's preserved by God, we have to believe that it is useful today. The Bible instructs us in every area of our life. Number Letter D. Number, letter A underneath. The word of God brings growth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, look at verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Peter understood that by getting into the word of God, we could grow by it. You understand that you're saved by the incorruptible seed of the word of God? You're saved by the word. You grow by the word. We are washed by the water of the word. It cleanses us. So the Bible instructs us in every area of life. The word of God gives us his promises. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. I think I'm just turn there very quickly. I'm going to try to get done here, all right? Verse 4. Whereby are given unto us great, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. So the word of God, these promises change us. They, we might be partakers of the divine nature. So it's important that we get into the word of God. And that the word of God gets into you. Let her see. The word of God helps us resist temptation. Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Letter D. The word of God has the power to change our lives. I already read, I quoted to you Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. The word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. He knows our heart. He knows our mind and our thoughts. Letter E. We are responsible to read, study, and obey the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. And I'm going to try to, uh, to, to call on my memory. Only be thou strong and very courageous to hear the words of these books and to do them. We're to obey the word of God. And Joshua says it takes courage to do so. You know, in a, in a world that we live in today, to live out the Bible, to live out the word of God, is a courageous thing. So what is our application? Number one, determine that you are committed to obey whatever is plainly revealed in Scripture. What the Bible says about you is true. What the Bible says you need is accurate. When the Bible says you ought to live a certain way, we need to obey it. Number two, determine that you'll make God's word a regular part of your life. I read a quote just a short time ago, and I can't even remember who said it, but he said this, read a lot of great books, but live in the Bible. It is the very bread of life. Is what God has given us, his love letter, to guide us, to direct us, to keep us, to help us. And he wants us to read it. He wants us to know it. And he wants us to know him through it. Let's pray tonight. Father, help us, Lord, and to understand and how important it is to have a, a love for your word. Lord, the Bible says the psalmist wrote that you have magnified your word above your name. 
That's, that's almost so hard to comprehend because you have a name above all names. But Lord, if your word were to be broken, your name wouldn't be worth anything. So I'm thankful, Lord, that you've given us absolute truth in the word of God. Help us to know it. Help us to believe it. Help us to trust it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for a moment tonight, and we won't have like a typical invitation, but we'll sing. And uh, perhaps you want to make that commitment tonight that I'm going to spend more time in the Word. I'm going to, I'm going to make it a, a vital part of my life and my routine that I spend time with God and His Word.